Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's episode 158 of the Audible Farm podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Couchtown Coffee. Couchtown Coffee is roasted right here in Iowa, and it's made to order. So when you make an order, they roast it and then ship it to your house. That's another thing. They ship it to your house. You don't even have to leave your house, and you get amazing coffee shipped directly to you. So check it out, couchtowncoffee.com. Find a coffee you like, make an order, and when you do, let them know Audible Farm sent you, and they'll give you 20% off. That's just another reason why Couchtown Coffee is awesome. Thanks, Couchtown. This week, I'm sitting down with Michael Husky. Michael Husky is somebody that I met at a singer-songwriter type night at, uh, uh, let's see here, it was at El Rey's, maybe, in Iowa City? Yeah, I was down in Iowa City, and uh, we had gone up earlier the night. I had accompanied uh, Jesse Wilson, who also got invited to this event, and uh, the two of us were down there. We played to, uh, I think, open the night, and I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, Michael Husky closed the night out, and it was pretty awesome. It was a good time. We sat there and watched everybody and then watched Michael play, and he sang really well. He played really well, and it was like, what? Well, who is this guy, and what does he have to say? So we sat and talked to him for a while, and... And uh, somebody we knew booked him for a show not too long after that, and we, he came up to the area and played a few shows. So I've seen him play a handful of times live. I've, I've uh, you know, kind of became friends with him online, and and here and there we've talked to each other when when we're in the same area. So he's he became kind of a buddy of mine over the last year, not even the last year. And he's got a really interesting story. Every time I talk to him, he's got n- new things to say and new stories to tell, and it's it's wild. I still don't think I've got all the good stories out of him yet. So uh, check out this podcast episode. We go we go over all sorts of stuff, uh, and it's a fun one. We were we were outside at a park when we recorded this, and some people. Uh, came by and stuff so so check it out it's kind of fun we give somebody a shout out in this one that ran by and it's it's just kind of a fun episode all around so i hope you guys enjoyed as much as i did this is episode number 158 with michael husky it's the audible farm podcast with your host peter stockdale Uh, today I'm sitting down with Michael Husky. Michael, you and I actually met at a singer-songwriter night. Uh, I don't know if that's like the exact name of it. We were talking about that earlier. But it was a singer-songwriter night in Iowa City at El Rays. And uh, Jesse had got a booking down there, so I went down and played with him. And we stayed around till the end and saw you. And afterwards we were like, dude, you're amazing. Got to get your contact info and everything. And uh, Nate from Bootleggers was there and, and ended up like getting you a couple bookings out of the deal. And... It was just kind of a cool night to like sit back and meet somebody that you know was a singer songwriter because those uh, open mic nights they have down there or those singer songwriter nights are like all encompassing. You have people playing acoustic guitars, you got beginners, like semi pro people, you got rap, you got everything going on at those. So it's kind of like an eclectic group. And it was like, oh, there's there's another singer songwriter guy here or whatever. This is super cool. So you know, we kind of uh, the lot of us, you know, kind of interacted with you here and there uh whether or not you were coming up to fort dodge to play shows or whether or not you know you were trying to find different bookings in the area and we kind of steered you in different directions as to places to play and stuff so it's kind of nice to have somebody from out of the area come into the area and kind of share what they have going on but uh i like you and i have talked quite a bit but at the same time i also like don't know too much about what 
led up to the point of us meeting you at a singer-songwriter night. So let's kind of go into that. Like, have you always played guitar? Let me ask you that. Well, it all started. <laughs> yeah, I was a, a little kid um, in grade school. Must have been, I don't know, somewhere between third and fourth grade. Started paying attention. My mom played guitar. My dad played guitar. And, mm. you know, grew up in a family of uh, musical people uh, generationally. <clears throat> Back to on my dad's side, my great uncle Ferlin Husky was an old country western star. Um, on the wings of a dove was his big number one crossover hit. I guess it was the first number one country crossover to the pop charts. And then he did another one called Gone. And I guess he had like a couple dozen top 20 hits over the course of 20 or plus, you know, 20 plus years during the 50s to the 70s. And he fell into all those truck driver songs mm -hmm. uh, that everybody fell into, like Conway Twitty and all those guys back in the 70s. But um, he was inspirational. Um, you know, growing up in uh, the Midwest, I was born in St. Louis, but we moved around a lot. And so, you know, that gypsy blood, yeah, you know, moving me all over the literally the world. But, um, you know, those early inspirations of, you know, folk and uh, early, you know, kind of folk rock, uh, everything from, you know, the Beatles through Bob Dylan and James mm -hmm. Taylor and Jim Croce, all that stuff was in, you know, in, ingrained early on by them. So I grabbed this little nylon string Spanish, you know, guitar my mom had and started learning how to play basic chords and took a couple lessons. And the next thing you know, I was playing guitar and, <clears throat> you know, we were talking about it earlier. You know, it's it was one thing to do it for fun and everybody was supportive of that. But when you started thinking and talking about doing this for a living, like, forget a job, let's yeah. go do this, you know, you're going to end up with kind of uh, different responses from different influences. Mom's like, you know, yeah, live your dreams, do it, you know. And growing up in a hippie family, I figured that's how everybody would feel about it. But dad was, no, get a job, yeah, you know, and uh, be realistic and all that. So um, I, I have wondered many times, you know, what would have happened had, uh, you know, I continued really taking it seriously and really thinking about it as a career rather than being the quote-unquote late bloomer that I, I became to do it later. But, yeah, I've been playing, you know, in bands and, um, I guess in the late nineties, um, I had basically lived that life that dad was prescribing early on. And I got to the end of that rainbow, having everything I ever wanted financially, houses, cars, businesses, and I realized this, this isn't it, you know, I'm just not happy, yep. you know, living this life. It's not really what I'm about. And I got more and more into music and, um, my first song popped out of me called suddenly back in 99 and I realized that I've been doing it backwards everything yeah um yeah I mean I, I used to think you in order to write a song you'd have to write the song and then set music to it well I couldn't do it that way one day I was, was just playing some chords and this song came to me and I went oh that's how I write mm -hmm. it just kind of comes through me mm -hmm. and that's when it started about 22 years ago oh wow um yeah I remember you so. telling me about about Ferlin uh your great uncle so that's like your dad's uncle then maybe that's it's my dad's uncle my grandpa's brother okay all right yeah, yeah i remember you telling me about him playing at the opry and how he yeah. didn't really like didn't quite fit in for what they were doing back yeah. then and so i was like well i'm gonna go peruse some some ferlin husky stuff so i like went online and you can find videos of ferlin playing at the grand old opry and they're kind of like introducing him and giving him crap at the same time where it's just like this guy's a pop star he's not really a country star like are you even a musician you're like pretty much like giving him crap like that and he was just like 
go away. I'm doing music now. You know, like, uh, he, yeah. you know, everyone was nice to each other, but it was still just kind of like, wow, they were kind of throwing in some shade here, you know, <laughs> like yeah. didn't quite fit in, but he, he still went out there and killed it. You know, and it's, yeah. it's just kind of a crazy thing to think about, you know, um, how music has changed from then till now. Cause uh, Wings of a Dove, if I'm not mistaken, was written by somebody else, but popularized yeah, by Bob Furley. Ferguson wrote the song. It was a gospel. And then Ferlin took it to uh, the country charts. Kind of, he, what he did was kind of odd. He took a gospel song, set it to this weird, almost like a polka uh, time signature. Yeah, yeah. And clapping, and it was very, you know, different. It was uh, it, so, so it was like honky tonk meets gospel meets to me polka or something. But it was, it was none of that when you'd hear it. It was, it was kind of a moving song. Mm-hmm. And so people really latched on to that, that, that message. But yeah, he was a, a square peg in a round hole. He, he and Elvis and Johnny Cash, he'd, you know, these were people that were coming onto the scene at that time. And they were all like that. You know, if you were going to really make any kind of headway, you weren't going to be like everybody else. And Elvis was out there shaking his hips and getting all kinds of crap for that. <laughs> yeah, they're zooming in, filming him just from the waist yeah. up. <laughs> but he was Elvis, right? Yep. What are you going to do? And the same thing with Verlin. His persona was bigger than the rules. Yep. So they had to kind of make some considerations. But once he'd had enough, once, you know, they were saying, you can't kick, because he was, I mean, who ever heard of a country star kicking like a cabaret, yeah. you know, dancer? And he would, and he had an alter ego, Simon Crum, which was eventually Gomer mm. Pyle, and he didn't even care that they stole that from him. That no was way. His, yeah, his, if you ever check it out, search some more on there and look for Simon Crum. I'm going to have to check and it out. In, in the voice, uh, in the character of Simon Crum, he could do anybody's voice. So it was like his artistic license to be as out there as he wanted to be, and you'd be like, whoa, why isn't he singing like that? But he had formed an identity out of that particular style, the the Furlan brand, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it, it came to loggerheads at one point when, you know, they didn't want him to have a drummer on stage. We don't do that at the Grand Ole Opry, and you can't kick. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to go do my own show. So he, he went over and to one of the networks and started a, a variety show. Never really panned out. It was, you know, a short-lived thing. But then he took off to Ireland and uh, became a huge star over there after he'd had a couple of hits over here came back and then kept working on the the hit machine and I've kind of followed a lot of his story through family members and my own research and you know his last album after all that after being now he's in the country western uh, hall of fame and you know wings of a dove turned out to be a top five all-time country song yeah canonized by all the greats all that sort of stuff been covered by everyone but his last uh, album was produced uh, out of Texas, Heart of Texas Records, and I talked to the guy, kind of interviewed him a little bit and on the phone, and he said, you know, the funny thing is, is by the end of Ferland's career, you know, we couldn't sell more than 10,000 albums. We didn't even break even on that album, his last his last album, and that's just the, the curve of that particular genre of music, you mm-hmm. know, at that point, you know, we've got all these new country stars coming up, and they're starting to form literally a whole new style of, of country music that yep. we now know as kind of pop country. Yep. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, he has a, he has quite a story. It was like next door neighbors to Johnny Cash and, oh, wow. and they were buddies and he'd come over for dinner and stuff. One time they were over at Johnny's place for dinner and, and uh, you know, Johnny was always, you know, at this point in his life, he'd, he'd really mellowed out from his lifestyle and, <clears throat> 
and they were they were praying over their food and afterwards Johnny was saying the prayer and afterwards he goes yeah but Lord I I do miss the drugs <laughs> and everybody laughed and broke bread you know but that's the kind of the kind of you know people that 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 he would he would hang out with in a more more natural environment he was comfortable with with those that were not necessarily you know um going with the flow of society in a yeah way. that was a nice way i was gonna say like pc but that's not that's not <laughs> quite you know like do you think that uh, like Ferlin had some influence on you, or maybe even your dad? When you know, you said your dad played guitar. Do you think he had some influence on you guys playing guitar? Uh, him being a musician, I think it was inspirational that anybody from our family, especially somebody who was you know from a dirt floor environment in you know Missouri, out and his dad was an old farmer who very poor. Um, you know that literally they. You know, when they were kids, my grandpa and, and Uncle Ferlin, when they were kids, you know, they didn't even all have shoes. I mean, these are real oh, old stories of, you know, poverty growing up in the South. And, you know, to be able to come from that and just decide one day, I'm going to Nashville. And he went and knocked on a few doors. And, you know, then the next thing you know, he's in L.A. And the next thing you know, he's a star. That's crazy. That's pretty wild. That's wild. Oh, man. Okay, so now here's another one. Do you think that... Um, him having success and maybe viewing it as like uh, catching lightning in a bottle, do you think that might have had something to do with your dad being like, well, maybe you should just get a job and, and go that route Yeah, instead. he knew the odds. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he also could identify, you know, instant natural talent, which Ferlin, everybody knew he always had. He was born to be an entertainer, mm -hmm. you know. And while I might have been funny and I might have had some chops on guitar or this or that, you know, he just probably didn't put all that together as anything, you know, that I should really bank on. Mm -hmm. And he was <clears throat> probably right to some degree, but <clears throat> again, what do you do if you have somebody with that kind of passion and desire and some talent, do you want to get behind it and really invest in it? That's true. I mean, like, I feel like that's something a lot of us kind of consider in our, in our lives too. Cause I mean, I've interviewed a lot of different musicians and it's like, do any of us really like ever thought you know none of us really thought we'd ever like quote unquote make it big but it was always like a glint in our mind it was like well i'm not negating that it might happen maybe anything's possible right but you know right. like but we all try to like root ourselves in quote unquote reality mm -hmm. when it comes down to things like that but you know i guess like what kind of drove you as an adult to shift gears and go back to writing music and and trying to play out at shows well heartbreak <clears throat> heartbreak of uh you know, the end of a marriage and, you know, where I thought I was headed and the road that I, I was fairly committed to, you know, financially and, you know, all of that. Kind of looking at the end of it going, nope, this isn't going where I had hoped and here I am, you know, what do I love doing more than anything? And, uh, you know, that was part of my life the whole time, whether you look at it as a meditation or, you know, your own private, you know, closet fetish of playing music for no one but yourself mm -hmm. you know if there's a passion around that and you're starting to actually enjoy that then you know you grow in that in that art and for me about the time you know that whole all that was happening in 99 um and that first song came to me um I realized that this is what I wanted to do I didn't know how soon I would get after it and in what ways, but there were little nudges all along the way. Like during, during that summer, I was living in Durango, Colorado at the time, and I'm hanging out at this, uh, used to go hot springing all over the place, and there was this one hot spring um, called Trimble Hot Springs in Durango. And I'm just enjoying myself, hanging out, and 
nice sunny day, and um, this guy starts talking to me who's also uh, soaking, and he turns out to be a musician, and we start talking about what we're talking about now, and isn't it funny how we wait, you know? Why, mm-hmm. do, why do we wait? And um, he's like, you really want to play again? I go, I am playing, but I've just not, I haven't been on the stage in a long time. I'd like to get back on one of these days. Well, our conversation evolved to some beers at a local blues club, and they had a stage upstairs, which was kind of like your mainstream blues acts. And then downstairs, I always called it dirty blues, like the, you know, just down in the trenches, good old blues. And mm-hmm. uh, we were down there and on that, you know, watching the band on that stage. And, uh, you know, we're in flip flops, fresh from the springs, having a couple beers. And the guitar player stops at the end of one song and says, We got any guitar players out there? Holds up his guitar. And my new friend elbows me in the side. And I come <laughs> shooting off my bar stool and whack, whack, both, you know, on concrete, both flip flops. And everybody turns and looks. And I'm just like, What am I going to do now? I did say, I do want to get back on stage. So I'm like, All right, what the hell? And I get up there, not having played for people in, gosh, I don't remember how many years, because it was a high school band, I think, the last time I'd really been on stage. And, um, and I just broke out this funk song and these guys were pros mm-hmm. and they were laying it down, shredding cool. over the top of it. And people were up dancing and we'd finished the song and I was like, wow, guys, thank that thing. It was a lot of fun. You know, it was like really got me charged again. And they're like, where do you think you're going? <laughs> like, what, what? Like, we want another one out of you. Look at these people. And they're all screaming and stuff. And I'm just like, all right. So then we did a blues <laughs> tune, you know, basic blues tune and. That was it. That was when I realized, okay, well, not only do I love doing this and do I want to do it, but it seems like people want me to do it. And then friend after friend is like, what are you doing? Why are you not on stage? You're good at this. And I'm like, uh, not really. I mean, you know, I'm just like anybody else. And yeah. I am. Yeah. You're just like anybody else. But um, over time, it's like, I forget who it was. Um, some prolific. Oh, it was Sting. It was interviewed one time. And they're like, what's the secret to your success? What's the secret? I'm going to tell you the secret to my success. It's three things. Number one, practice. <laughs> Number two, practice. Number three, practice. And I was like, that's it. Yep. You know, you've really got to hone what it is you're doing. Because even when you're singing, like we were talking about whether people can sing or not, I used to think I couldn't sing. But you can't, everybody can sing. You just got to find your voice. Yep. And then over time, you refine it. You mm-hmm. knock off that little thing that you that spur that you didn't want mm-hmm. coming out of your throat. You know what was that? Well, I can control that. I can shape my voice around what I want to, you know, actually express. Yeah, it yeah. just takes time. Yeah, I mean, at the same t- like that's something I'm still trying to figure out because I'm not like a prolific singer by any means. But like, I guess if if absolute need be, I can I can hold a tune slightly well enough to pull it off. Like that's kind of where I'm at. But I'm starting to also figure out, like you said, there's some things that I would do when I was singing where it's like, oh, that doesn't sound good. So I'm just not, I'm just gonna not do that anymore. But then you start to find like, well, what can I add to it now that I took something away? And mm-hmm. before you realize, you're like, oh, I can actually do a little bit of this. You know, it's not like I'm incompetent or whatever. So it is kind of fun. Like you're you're what you're saying it. it I feel a lot of that in my young life, like right now. Um, for example, a buddy of mine plays drums, and he and he's trying to like figure out a way to like get into a new scene. He's played all sorts of like rock and metal and and punk and things like that. But like one of the things that somebody had mentioned was like, you know, he thinks he might be too old for this. And it's like, dude, you're two years older than me at most. Like, and I'm I'm only in my like early thirties, so it's 
So I'm like, we're in our thirties already having this, like, am I too old for this? Should I not do this? You know, and I'm assuming in like the nineties, that's about how old you were, you know, twenties or thirties. So like, it's just like, you know, it's kind of weird that we're having these like same parallels, um, to an extent, you know, with, with what we have going on. But, um, if I recall correctly, didn't you play music before then too, though, with, with some bands? Yeah. Um, in high school, you know, it's funny, you hear these stories of near misses, you know, uh, and people who just happen to be at the right place at the right time, that sort of thing. I was the guy who was at the right place uh, with sometimes the wrong people um, at the right time. <clears throat> and in Marin County, California, uh, San Francisco Bay Area is pretty well known for a lot of prolific musicians, you know, coming from there or relocating to there and then becoming famous from there. Van Morrison's a great example from Ireland, and he hit it from the Bay Area, um, you know, just on and on. I used to live down the street from the, the drummer for Journey. And, oh, cool. Um, <clears throat> back then, you know, we had, uh, I was really into metal. And so, you know, I'd go see anybody who could who could shred on the guitar. That was my my passion. And, and um, you know, so we had, we had this one band. It was kind of a new age, new wave rock band. And the drummer and I weren't into it. We wanted to move on to metal exclusively. So we left that band and started a band called Iron Rose. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we found I was playing rhythm and singing lead and he was doing drums. We found a bass player and we were looking for one of those lickety split, you know, Eddie Van Halen type guitar players. And we found one. It was the best we'd ever seen, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the the Bay Area at least. Um, But an ego on him like you wouldn't believe and. Yeah, sometimes those two follow each other around a little bit. Yeah, and he was a little too important for the band, so we didn't get a whole lot of a lot accomplished. This guy was crazy. He 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 called up in an English accent and set up ten gigs with these high schools throughout the Bay Area, telling them we were from England. You know, Iron Rose from England. We want to do the kids a favor. You know, and come over and play some gig. We'll just you know four hundred bucks a gig, hundred bucks a you know each. In, in the eighties or nineties, yeah, you know, that's pretty 80s. wild. And they, he booked them all ten of them. We're like, well, great. We better get these shows together. We got to get thirty three songs down fast. You know, and some of them are original. Some of them. And this guy kept blowing off practice, and we kept having to cancel all these gigs until they were all canceled. And mm-hmm. the band was like, we're done. This guy's flake and he shows up for the last practice late as usual and we're like we're pretty much gonna let him know it's we're not gonna keep going with this thing and he goes well i have to level with you i gotta tell you why you know this has been going on this whole time i've been playing with you guys i've been trying out for metallica yeah and we're like metallica oh yeah we heard of them yeah you know they'd come up from la and they'd married up with one of the guys in marin county in their band they were playing you know, places, little clubs like the Stone in San Francisco and starting to build a name. And and they were looking for a guitar player. I guess their first guitar player didn't work out very well. And and uh, and they said it was down to him and one other guy. And they said, you were a better guitar player, but you're too arrogant for yeah, us. A little unwieldy. Yeah. And so we're like, yeah, that's our problem. You're you the know? best guitar player we've ever seen. But, you know, you're just a little too big for us, apparently. So Ron went on to play in this band called Jet Boy. And they made some albums. They had, you know, a charted song called uh, Feel the Shake. It was kind of an ACDC sounding song. And that's when I kind of hung it up. I was like, eh, you know, if I haven't gotten it together by now, I'm going to fall back on dad's idea and, you know, get with it financially and get into the business world and blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, still uh, was playing and, you know, I think formed another. Right after that experience of writing that one song, I formed a band in Durango 
And it was pretty tight, but we kept losing drummers. It was like Spinal Tap, the story of Spinal Tap. You know, it's it was like, nothing oh but God. a little green globule, you see. <laughs> like, what is the deal? Why can't we get out of our own way and get something going here? So, you know, after amassing my dream rig, the Mesa Boogie Series Mark IV, you know, head with the two 12-inch Celestian cab and the, you know, really nice old Fender Strat and all that sort of stuff, I just finally kind of hung it up and went to the acoustic and mm -hmm. that's when all this started to kind of yeah. happen now i do recall you telling me a story about that mesa boogie head um mm -hmm. so okay i'm gonna i'm gonna lay this down here so uh one of the i would say like the first like 30 podcasts i did i did with a guy that went to berkeley school of music and uh his, his name's alejandro trevino so like scroll back and look at that one but before the episode he was just like here let's listen to this album <laughs> So he's like, go back, let's listen to this album before we do this. So we're listening to this album. I'm like, man, this is some wild, wild music. What is this? And he's like, oh, this is Al Meola. Uh, I think it was Electric Rendezvous was the oh, album. Yeah. And I was like, this album is, it's insane. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't fit. It's jazz, but it doesn't fit, like, anything. It's like really. jazz rock fusion. It's some weird fusion stuff. Yeah. And I was like, this is crazy. So, like, after that, I was, like, all into jazz, you know, and. And every now and then I'd spin it past him, like, you know, I like that. Give me someone else to listen to, you know. So he was, uh, the joke for a while was he was like the jazz dealer in the area, you know. So, But you actually have a story with that Mesa Boogie Head yeah. and Al Mayola, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, don't you? Yeah, it was pretty It was pretty wild. Al, Al was definitely, you know, one of my favorite, at that point, probably my favorite guitar player. Randy Rhodes had passed away, and, you know, I'd done my mourning over his lo of the loss of Randy Rhodes. He was, he was the number one for me for a while. And then... I came across Al and was just blown away by his diversity and his dexterity and, you know, the, the soul that he, he has coming through that, those multiple guitars. I mean, everything from Spanish flamenco to literally, you know, anything you wanted to hear on the electric, you know, he could do that too. And then the steel string, he was a master of that. So yeah, I was really impressed with what, what he had going on. And I'd, I'd seen him live. A friend of mine was running the uh, Fort Lewis college, um, the venue there where they have uh, all the music. Um, and uh, he mentioned that Al was coming to town and had made a special request. And uh, Al loves to play through Mesa um, equipment. And he goes, I can't find you. You're the, you're the only one who has you know, a Mesa amp around here. And I said, well, lucky for us, it's probably the one he wants to play through too. It's the most sought after one. It was mm -hmm. the 88 at that point, the 88 Series Mark IV yep. um, head, switchable 60 to 100 watt head, just phenomenal, what you could get out of this thing. And um, <clears throat> I go, it's just collecting dust. I'm sad about that, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy to let you use it for that. I just want to come to the show, you know, mm -hmm. see how. He's like, no problem. I mean, I had the, the, not the front row. Everybody wants the front row. No, no, I wanted to be halfway back, right in the middle, perfect sound, you know, yep. so I could hear him. And um, there he is playing through my, my Mesa Boogie amplifier. And at the end of the show, he goes to my buddy who ran the place. He says, you need to buy this amplifier. You need to keep this here for anybody who wants to really play through some good equipment. So he came to me afterwards and asked me if he could buy it, and I ended up selling it to him. So it, it feels good to know that not only Al played through it, but a lot of probably really good musicians have played through it mm -hmm. over the years. And it went to good use, at least. That's super wild to like think that you loaned out some gear to somebody and Aldi Mayola played on it. And then I'm like, when it all comes down to like cut and dry, somebody else ended up buying it for you. And like you said, who knows who's played on this thing yeah. over the years? You know, yeah, I'd have to call him back and find out. But I bet it's some pretty impressive 
individuals. Yeah, I mean that's that's another wild. Like that's the thing I think is like crazy about hearing some of these stories that you're telling is they're almost like. It's it's like all this cool stuff can't happen to one guy, but for some reason yeah. it did, you know. Yeah. Do you think like all these like weird like chance meetings, like uh, you know, loaning out an amp to Aldi Maola, or like playing with a guitarist that tried out for Metallica, you know? Like, <laughs> you think all these things like were uh, slight like weird inspirations, or at the time did they feel like odd setbacks? Like, well, I played with this guy, we had this band, it was awesome, but he's trying out for this other band, and now he's just gone, and then I'm I have this cool amp and I'm playing on it, but. I don't really play it that much anymore, so I sold it. You know, like are are these like inspirational stories? Or are these like sad stories? Or like at the well, time changes everything, right? Mm-hmm. So in retrospect, they turned into great stories. But when they were happening, they were the experience of that belief system that says, ah, you know, the other foot's gonna drop. It's not gonna work out. You can't really do this. Yeah, and so at the time, you know, it was an honor, and I was happy to be a part of all all of those stories that 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 occurred, you know, in my life. I mean, meeting all kinds of incredible people over the years, from Muhammad Ali to Michael Jordan, Whoa, cool. all these kinds of scenarios where, while they're happening, you don't really think about it as a string of like pretty significant, mind blowing events. But when you look back at it, they all kind of show up as a as a pretty cool painting, a really, really interesting story to tell. Yeah. And I love to tell those from the stage, too, just different little run-ins. Like, well, the Michael Jordan one is probably one of my favorites because, you know, everybody wants an autograph and this and that. And I just happened to be in the same place as him and had a moment to ask him, you know, hey, I don't want to bug you, but, you know, can you give me some advice for my son? His name is Jordan, too. And by the way, my name's Michael. Oh. He laughs, you know, because <laughs> Michael and Jordan. And like. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's like, well, tell him, tell him. He goes, well, how old is he? I go, he's only four. This was, you know, 23 years ago. And uh, it was his last year with the Bulls, but nobody knew it yet, mm-hmm. including him, I think. He wasn't totally sure he was going to retire yet for yep. that final time. But, um, he goes, well, tell him, tell him to enjoy the game, you know, because I told him he was a little athlete and he was starting to get involved in different things. And, and I said, great, I'll tell him you said that. And then he grabbed me by the shirt and he pulls me closer. He goes, no, 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 tell him to enjoy life. Mm-hmm. I was like, you definitely exemplify enjoy, and, and exemplify enjoying my uh, life, Michael. I'll tell him you said that. Yep. And the next morning was the funniest part. Here he is, my four-year-old son. We're staying like one block off the beach in Huntington Beach, uh, California, and a uh, little little vacation and <clears throat> um we're at breakfast and I'm excited to tell Jordan a story you know oh my god I met Michael Jordan last night he's like who's that I go, well, <laughs> Michael Jordan you know the Chicago Bulls number 23 he goes oh the one who scores all the points I go yeah him <laughs> and, he, and he and he told me first to tell you to enjoy the game but then he said enjoy life and Jordan's looking at me like I'm from another planet he's like uh, dad let's go to the beach yeah <laughs> i'm like oh joke's on me he's already enjoying life yep. you know you can't give that advice now maybe later it'll mean something to him so yeah. retrospect jordan has a great story to tell now oh that's really cool you know i i guess i never you know that's the other thing is you like i said you and i have talked like before gigs after gigs uh randomly meeting up talking on the phone while you know one of us is driving to a gig or whatever but i never heard that michael jordan story so that's that's pretty cool you know and I've, i have a feeling that i'm not going to peel all of the cool stories out of you in just one hour either you know so yeah there's a couple <laughs> So we've so we've got a little taste of like what it was like in your early life, some of your first bands, uh, transitioning to selling some of your gear because you know the dream might not seem like a reality 
to the point where like, oh, now you got, uh, you've rejuvenated your passion for playing music by playing in a, a blues bar, um, to writing a new song in the nineties, in the late nineties. So let's, let's try and like pigeonhole what happened between like 1999 and, and 2020 ish when you and I actually met each other. Well, we were talking about the value of playing at these open mics mm -hmm. and jamming with people and really getting into it and doing what you love. I think that's the most important thing. And that's what I started to do was any chance I got to play with other musicians, especially those that were better than me. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I started finding ways to get that accomplished in jam sessions and you know everywhere where i mean even living in hawaii you know and i'd bring my guitar to the park somebody'd show up with an ukulele and you know have mm -hmm. a story about don ho and who knows what <laughs> and, you know we're out here jamming and all of a sudden people are around dancing and enjoying it, and it was like wow this is fun or busking you know um in sausalito sitting in the same spot where otis redding wrote the song sitting on the dock of the bay oh cool you know and playing for people there and meeting people this was interesting because it was you know there's all these open mics and little gigs and things and you know house parties and you know jamming with people and then one day you know i decide i want to write finished writing a book that I've been working on for a while called Freedom Beyond Belief. It's about challenging these belief systems that keep us from living our dreams. And, um, and so I had rented this, uh, this master bedroom in this house overlooking Muir Beach in Marin County on the other side of Mount Tamalpais, just absolutely stunning, an old London pub, just like if it was like they pulled it right out of London and stuck it on the beach or near oh, cool. the beach. Uh, so I'd go down there for a little cultural breaks and play in darts and stuff. But over in uh, Mill Valley, I'd busk and then I'd head over to Sausalito to that spot I was telling you about. And those kind of things would keep my chops up and keep me really integrated into the music scene. And from there, I would, you know, find other musicians, uh, a hand drummer who. Um, he was just part of the the Escovito family. That, that was that Vino. <laughs> oh my God! We were just talking about you. That's hilarious. Yeah. This is the the, the jazz inspiration. Just ran. I'll get a hold of you later, man. He just jogged by us. That's wild. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. The guy that started the whole Aldi Mayola thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Sorry to train wreck the story no, there. That was no, wild. It's, it's awesome. It's just exactly what I'm talking about. Like you just never know and. You know, the next thing you know, this guy from there's a, just a meticulous, incredible hand drummer. Um, he's played all kinds of drums, but he settled on, on on the hand drums and just congas and all of that. And uh, from you know Gloria Estefan and all those. That's that's his sort of domain. And uh, and so we started playing together, and he got us a gig playing at a little place in Sausalito and. You know, so all these relationships and friends that we meet, you know, as we play music together out of the pure love of what we do, all this other stuff starts to open up. Same with you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, also in uh, a big inspiration for me was living in Chiang Mai, Thailand, yeah. where um, in the north northern part of Thailand, a uh, place called Boy Blues Bar. They don't. He didn't know how to pluralize his name at that time, I guess. So he didn't call it Boy's Blues Bar because mm -hmm. his name was Boy. His nickname was Boy. Uh, okay. So we just called it what he called it, Boy Blues Bar. And there'd be artists from all over the world playing there. This guy was featured in, like, prolific blues magazines in America and whatnot as, you know, a destination. And so we'd go in there and play open mics on uh, Monday nights and, you know, go go crazy with everything from Van Halen to... Uh, 
you know, Led Zeppelin to ZZ Top to originals and, you know, just messing around. So, yeah, I think collaborating and, you know, playing out as often as you can for, you know, as long and, and as many engagements as you can. Um, that's what I was working on. And, uh, yeah, so same thing with meeting you and then, you know, five gigs up here in northern Iowa within two weeks as a result of those conversations. Mm -hmm. Two of them at the same place, bootleggers last night and bootleggers again next Saturday. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, and which is still, I mean, an amazing place to play. The, the people you meet at all these different bars is always interesting, but um, just, uh, you know, developing those relationships and people who, you know, uh, fall in love with one of your guitars and you're in the middle of buying another guitar and so they, they want to buy that guitar. And, mm -hmm. You know, I think I sold two different guitars uh, out of bootleggers to a, a new friend who <laughs> yep. was like, whenever you want to get rid of that Martin, you yep. know, you give me the call first. And I'm just like, geez, because if, if I ever need the money and if I ever really need to sell that Martin, I will. Yep. But, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I was actually there for one of those because I believe you had like an electric guitar there that you brought with. You were like, well, maybe I'll play it. Maybe I won't. I don't know. And then and then somebody's like, what are you going to do with that guitar over there? And you're like, I, I don't know. I just brought it with. And he's like, you want to sell it? <laughs> you know, it's just kind of crazy how that all kind of like came funny. about. Uh, that same guy when I was there playing, I was playing like a pvt 60 and he was just like you want to sell that guitar yeah, and i was he just knows what's, he knows yeah, what's yeah. good yeah and i was just kind of like uh not really so i shot him like an astronomical price like absolute top of yeah. a top line price and he was just like no nah, i'm good and I was like, yeah, yeah exactly i get it but yeah i mean that's that's pretty wild though like I've, I've long since said like this area there's no like favoritism there's enough pie for everyone to get a slice everyone kind of just looks out for each other and I mean, I hope that's the way you feel about totally. coming up to this area. Cause I've considered moving here. You oh, know? really? Yeah, many Holy times. Cow. But the only reason I didn't, I mean, it was definitely second on my list. I really like that little town, Iowa Falls, a lot. Yeah. And I've been playing over there as well. I'll be playing there again at the 503 coming up. But uh, <clears throat> the reason I didn't uh, is my my uh, kids have moved to well my daughter's about to but my son's moved to Texas and there's a pretty lively music oh yeah <laughs> uh, you know situation going on down there that from Austin down to San Antonio so I'll be right in between those oh cool two cities and so that's where I'm headed after these oh, really? gigs I'll be heading straight to texas it's up and moving then yeah oh, it's dang. time to go yeah i mean that seems to be like your mo like you said you lived in thailand for a while like what made you move to thailand yeah um <laughs> i'm gonna put a windsock on the mic sorry everybody right. there's that sound we love yep oh man oh my gosh i apologize oh, i'm, such a, we'll I'm such a i'm such a professional yeah i'm not fixing it in post. <laughs> not fixing anything in post. <laughs> ain't gonna be no post no <laughs> so uh so Thailand was one of those things I always wanted to go and I never had and you know been you know doing the backup plan to make sure that you know one day I'll have enough money to retire and all that sort of hoo-ha and uh I was living in in uh, Hawaii had had uh was uh working with a solar company and managing their sales and marketing for them and my next door neighbor was a solar installer we'd become friends and we thought about starting our own business so I'm still thinking down that line of you know that business and mm -hmm. and my son's living with me we're overlooking the ocean on the big island you know we can we can go up in the winter time and have a snowball fight and then be down swimming in 80 degree water nice. you know, the same day <laughs> oh my god so I'm going so I think cool. we've pretty much arrived like this is where else could you be on this planet yeah. that would be more amazing like all but two of the world's climate zones are on that 
on that island, plus an active volcano. So if you really want to get crazy, yeah, <laughs> you know. And uh, my daughter came out to visit, and I go, well, guys, this is it. I'm, like, standing at the pinnacle of everything I've ever wanted to do, and this is it, and I'd love for you guys to stay, and I'll help you do whatever you want to do. And I can play locally here, music, and feed my dreams that way mm -hmm. and grow this business. And they're like, no, we want to go back to the mainland, and we've got other plans. And I was like, all right. And I'm sitting there one day, and I'm looking out over the ocean, and I'm like, I don't want to live here by myself. You know, I'd rather yeah. be here with my family or whatever, and I'm single. And I've always wanted to go to Thailand, so I sold everything. And as I'm going, my son called me up, and he said, while you're at it, look into human trafficking. It's a real big problem. You know, and he was thinking in terms of the problem that Thailand and Southeast Asia has, which is prolific, but it's a worldwide problem. So I mm -hmm. promised him I'd look into it. Well, that started a whole nother passion project mm -hmm. that ended up being called childrenhelpingchildren.org. We lost our funding, unfortunately, but we were able to prove concept um, on how to literally end uh, social injustices like human trafficking through the school system. Instead of being indoctrinated, you know, through a school system, which most of them are real good at doing, mm -hmm. um, get the kids to think critically and start from their dreams at an early age. You know, what is your dream? What do you want to do? And then tailor an educational curriculum to their desires of what they want to do in life. Mm -hmm. You can keep changing it based on their changing desires from one minute wanting to be a chef to a rock star to a whatever it is. But math still applies. Chemistry still applies. Yeah. <laughs> all these different things. And we proved concept. And... Um, yeah, that one was a real a real passion play um, for about three and a half years over there. And meanwhile, getting to play music at this really amazing... Speaking of like challenging your belief systems about yourself as a musician, so I used to go to this jazz club, back to jazz. I'd play at Boy Blues Bar because everybody played there, and it was a lot of fun, a great place to hang out and jam. But there was this jazz club um, in Chiang Mai too, and these musicians were seriously good. Mm -hmm. And so I would never venture onto that stage. It was just too technical to, you know, but one day they asked me up. So I went in, I was like, oh God, what could I possibly play? I'm like, I, well, I have this one funk song. That's it. That's the same song oh, I oh, nice. played on that one stage in, in Durango at that blues club. And those jazz players just, just completely carried me through that song. I laid down that funk rhythm and then they just built a song around nice. it with a saxophone and all this other stuff. And by the time it was over, we had the crowd up again, just going crazy. Because, you know, I guess that's how that organically happens. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, they, they helped pull me through yet another moment of, oh, I'm probably not very good, not good enough or whatever. Like, Dude, you're good enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lot of musicians have that thought process, though, of the, like, not good enough, you know. And, I mean, that's pretty much what made me not play guitar from, like, 20 to like 27 honestly it was just like i just looked around at like everyone around me like these guys but that guy's better than me this guy's better than me you listen to i mean that was when i was listening to like steve vi and all that oh, stuff man. i'm like i'm never gonna be this no. good it's like but no. you don't have to be that no. good you know by the way have you ever noticed his photographic memory at work he remembers every note he's ever played which and, is and exactly how to do it mm -hmm. and so he has this library of music that he could call up at any moment in time and play it note for note Dude, that's a special gift that that's a whole nother part of the brain. I never 
I never had that. No, no, no. <laughs> what was that chord again? Yeah. I remember watching a Steve Vai interview once, and he was just like, well, I used to play it like this, but then I found that, like, you know, as the years progressed, and then I changed amps, and, like, the way I set some things up, I should play the same notes, but on a different set of strings, because it adds, like, a different... And it's like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, I it's... get that there's different tones that come out of different strings, even if it's the same note. But to, like, be that deep into it where you're just like, I changed the way I play it live because it sounds better with my new gear. And it's like, this is this is weird, dude. This is right. wild, you know? And he's like an example. He's he's a definite virtuoso. The guy was born, you know, his neighborhood up the street from him, his influence was was Joe Satriani. Mm-hmm. Like, on the same street. That's what well, are the yeah, odds? Yeah, right? insanity. And having, like, the tendencies of somebody who, you know, we know about all these you know, idiot savants, they call them, although that's not PC anymore. Um, or, you know, the different challenges that people come into with what we might call handicaps, but they're super gifted in all these other areas. Mm-hmm. Well, Steve came in without the handicap. Yeah. Like he, the dexterity's there, the memory's there, the creativity's there, mm-hmm. the tech mind that he has on top. I mean, like you said, <laughs> down to the strings and then understanding the electronics yep. all the way throughout the speaker. It's that's yeah. a whole nother existence. Yeah, I was watching some of his studio work, and, he's, and he'll just be like, well, give me like a 0.5 dB boost on the 30 hertz what and the and the reverb there. And it's like, what are you talking about? Like, I would have never thought to just be like, just adjust this one tiny frequency just this much. Like, okay, dude, yeah. like, sounds good, you know. Yeah. Did you have ever have any like inspirational people like that uh, yeah. that you kind of like really looked up to? I remember you said Randy Rhodes and then Al Di Maiola, but uh... well, I guess from the very beginning, my dad brought home a. Uh, there were two guitar players. He brought home uh, Peter Frampton "Comes Alive," which was just to me an incredible sound. I really still love that whole album and you know that the, all those songs. For a second, but... I thought you were going to say he brought home Peter Frampton. I was like, I, no, the I was album. like, I was like, wait a second, no, what? No, no, like, no, no. then I wouldn't I never put, got to meet him. I wouldn't put it past you, no, given no. your life. <laughs> no, but he brought the album home, and also he had uh, George Benson's "Breezin." So here we are, jazz guitar. You know, out of out of out of one side, and then you know this rock thing going on over here. So those two were, you know, and of course, you know, we're all listening to the same stuff at the time. We're listening to Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix and all of that stuff, which was inspirational. But those two were pretty prolific. And then, um, yeah, there's a whole string of them from, you know, um, you know, there's uh, you know people that like don't really know as much about you know some of them like Steve Lukather. Mm-hmm. From Toto, mm-hmm. you know, at, which is at the su- end surprisingly of, good guitarist, incredible and, guy. But they were, you know, it was like a studio sound that they didn't really want to feature guitar on. Mm-hmm. So whenever you'd hear him playing his licks and leads and stuff, they were in there. They were all melodically perfectly set up for the songs. But like I would be the guy who's at the end of uh, Rosanna, that song mm-hmm. they did, Rosanna. Yep. Yep. At the very end of the song, you'll hear him doing a lead, a sh- just a crazy lead out and they're fading out i'm turning the volume up yeah trying to hear you know, like trying where's to this hear going? every where's this last going? note of that lead i'm like who is this guy yep you know and uh steve morris uh dixie dregs and then eventually the steve morris band then yep. he went to kansas for a while mm-hmm. and that didn't really wasn't his cup of tea so he went back to doing the steve morris band or project or whatever they called it i saw him live in san san rafael a little tiny club called george's and you know just maybe a hundred people were there and he gets up on stage and starts doing this incredible guitar work and stops and he goes oh, you probably heard this one on the radio that's an inside joke that we all laughed at 
And most people who aren't musicians, which his fan base is basically guitar players mm -hmm. mainly, uh, wouldn't get it because they didn't understand that he's worked his ass off his whole life and he never got real real prolific on 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 the main stages of the world really other than his brush with kansas and that sort of thing but people still didn't know who he was mm -hmm. and he was joking about the fact that you know it, it, it may be good you might like it and i sure liked making it but the world's missing it because this isn't where the world's at mm -hmm. as far as popular music so you won't hear this anywhere but here or on one of my albums and that's how it is for some of those incredible inspirations they're not you know household names they're scraping by they're doing you know whatever the day job is you know so that they can support their passion of of playing and you would have heard we've all heard his stuff on the radio but it's it's through like car ads and stuff where they want some lickety split guitar work going on in the background of some big be there, be there, be there, Monday yeah. sale. And yeah. Yeah. in the background, it's like, hey, that's, that's Steve Morris. You know? like, Who? What are you talking about? It's a guitar ad. Yeah. I mean, a, a car, a car, used car ad. <laughs> oh my God, what a life to be like that good. And then just like, I guess if you're a musician, you'll take like, you'll take the gigs, you know, it's, it's it pays the bills but it's still yeah. just like you do a car ad so like for serious like okay i guess so but you know <laughs> but yeah once speaking of stevie vi once i heard stevie vi i was just like i mean though he knows all the tricks and that song for the love of god oh man that got me and the fact that he went out into the wilderness and just wrote that yeah i i had heard that the original inspiration for like the opening uh, lick that he plays like the opening phrase the ba -na -na -na. he like actually like thought of that in high school and sang it into a recorder wow and was just like i might use this later in life and then when it came time to make what is actually like it's on his third album uh when he like wrote that album he was just like i need something in here and he's like wait what about that thing i sang into this recorder and of course he still has the tape somewhere so he pops it in and he's just like oh i'm gonna go with this and he just like ran with this tiny little like like, I don't know if it's like four bar phrase that he had written. It was just like the part of the opening riff and he just took it to the next level, you know. And for anybody that hasn't listened to it, he takes this this lick and he just keeps extrapolating it and changing it until like before you know it, it's like unrecognizable and it kind of swings back to it at the end, you know. And uh, yeah, definitely one of the best for sure. Uh, we are talking about like recording music and then maybe, you know, like people not necessarily getting their just desserts, but you are recording music right now. You're kind of like in the process of dipping your toes into recording some new songs. Mm -hmm. So um, have you ever recorded like an album for solo material and things like that? Or is this kind of your no. first venture into that? The nature of being a late bloomer, it's, you know, it's one of those projects that takes a while. I understand why, you know, it takes people a while to do this sort of stuff now. Mm -hmm. um, and you get really meticulous. It's one thing to play something live and you know, and, and feel like you've nailed it once in a while, you know, mm -hmm. but you're always like, oh, I could do this different or that different. In the studio, you're doing that constantly, you know, and then there's the added for me, you know, it's not stage fright, it's studio fright. Like, I'm now being recorded. Everything I do is being picked up by very sensitive, mm -hmm. you know, recording instruments here. So it's taken me a little adjustment time, but yeah, we've laid down some foundation tracks and, you know, um, coming out of my shell and doing that Chris Stapleton song starting over, mm -hmm. you know, where I didn't really think I was going to hit that as well. And, 
Um, it's gotten a lot of a lot of uh, good response uh, playing it live, and then you know, and then that recording that I did a little video of for you know promotional purposes, and mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. Um, and the concept for the album, I, I feel good about that. Um, it's called American Refugee, which you know, it, I'll let you know when I get there. But mm-hmm. at some point, um, it's really kind of the thrust of it is about being. You know, that experience of traveling a lot, leaving the country and kind of seeing what's going on with your country from a from a distant point of view mm-hmm. and incorporating a worldview around that and coming back and then feeling like a refugee in your own country because it doesn't really vastly represent what not only you thought it represented, but what, what your core values really are. Mm-hmm. And not to say they aren't here, they are. They're right here. They're yep. everywhere you go with each other. We have them. You know, but they really aren't represented on the on the big stage. Yeah, you know? in a micro sense, yeah, uh, it's everything's kosher in America. But on a macro sense, it's like there's a couple things that could use a little bit of tweaking over yeah. here. You know, and you don't really realize it until you step back and look at everything that's going on. And that's not you know that's not us being like non patriotic and things like that. That's just us saying the facts. Yeah, um, I, I mean, who doesn't love America and the ideals that we were founded upon? Freedom, mm-hmm. you know, uh, liberty, you know. Uh, and justice, you know, these are these are foundational, you know, uh, and to watch them being sacrificed by people who don't really honor, you know, what we really stand for is, yeah. is hard and saddening for people. And the frustration is obvious, you know, mm-hmm. more divided than ever, all of that. But um, I think music is a real good tool for that. You know, we can express what's going on. And, um, you know, I sing primarily about freedom and love. So mm-hmm. who, who can't like that? Exactly. You know? Yeah. Uh, but there are some people who, you know, the, we'll, we'll have really interesting, engaging discussions and debates around some of these ideas, you know, and um, it's an interesting one for me that, you know, RFK Jr. Uh, is, is an attorney who's been fighting to keep um, uh, toxic chemicals out of our, our food supply, out of our fish and, you know, rivers and stuff for many decades. And he's in a, a debate with Alan Dershowitz around this. He's like, well... Alan Dershowitz says, I can fight this all the way to the Supreme Court. You know, these mandates are are constitutional because you're in the middle of an epidemic, da 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 pandemic, all this sort of stuff. And uh, don't you think that we should be protecting each other with these vaccines? And RFK's position is, yeah, if they're, if they're proven safe and effective, but they aren't. And then he goes into his whole litany around, here's what's really going on. And then they have a whole nother level of debate. I think these are healthy conversations we all need to be having, not on an emotional or political platform, but as 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 true citizens that are concerned about the future, you know, of our country and, and of our children, our offspring. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Like you were talking about critical thinking earlier, and I remember I went back to college as an adult, and somebody told me once, like, if you get nothing else out of going to college, like learn how to critically think for yourself and, and analyze facts and come to your own conclusion, you know? And I feel like there's a lot of people that don't do that. A lot of people just kind of, I don't want to, I don't want to just like cast this giant shadow over what everyone does, but I feel like a lot of people are just like, well, I saw on Facebook this thing. And it's like, well, it's not really a, not really a great place to get your information, but I, you know, it's, it's cool or whatever, you know? And I mean, like I went to school with people that would be like, well, I wrote this paper on this stuff and I only got a 65% on it because I used Wikipedia as a source. And it's like, that's not a good source. You know, you need to go to somewhere that's like .org or .edu or go to like a medical journal or or go to somewhere that has actual statistics um, and, and look at some of that stuff, you know. And uh, it just, 
I don't know. I just definitely think that that is uh, an important thing. And I feel like going out of the country and getting a worldview and coming back is definitely something that added to some of that in my life where I was, I was lucky enough to travel uh, out of the country multiple times in my early 20s and late teens. And that kind of just made me realize that like, you know, it's, everything's not as great as I thought it was here. But when you come back to America, you're like, this is where I want to be though. You know, like mm-hmm. all the stuff that I love about this place is still like steadfast and intact, but there are yeah. some things that do, we probably should as human beings ask each other about what exactly is going on here. You know, yeah. like I said, it doesn't have to be a political thing. It can just be a thing where human beings are talking about the grand scheme of everything that's going on. Do you think that that is, uh, I mean, like obviously you have the American refugee as the concept for the album or or the thought process that's kind of leading towards this. Are you going to do a whole album, or are you just doing, like, singles or EPs? or? Well, I'll start off with uh, some singles. I need to finish the song, the title track, American Refugee. Um, but, you know, there's one song that I just completed called Who's Your Friend, and I've been playing that out a little bit. And it asks some uh, some provocative questions and, and uh, takes a definite stance, mm-hmm. you know, around freedom and... Um, and what's you know what's going on now um but uh yeah eventually i would like to have it be a full comprehensive album no oh, that'd be sweet uh, around that that particular title track it's gonna be your first first album and I, th- I think it's gonna be like oh, honestly i think that the concept of it all like not that it's gonna be a concept album quote unquote ah the breeze the wind socks aren't helping as much as i thought they would uh, but yeah, so like, I don't think it's going to necessarily be like a full on concept album. Like you're not going to be telling a story song by song by song that leads to this giant conclusion at the end, or maybe you are, I don't know. But like, uh, I do think well, it's... I'd like to have Chris Stapleton's starting over song in it as a, as part of that concept mm. in the sense that I want to talk about some diagnoses, you know, in the songs and, and you know, what, what I see going on and what others that I've, you know, sort of shared stories with and heard their stories too, um, you know what they're seeing and and be inclusive of this this discussion but um we are also at a precipice there's a group of people who don't look at everything that's going on as bad you know they see it as necessary and what's next and what's next is going to be far better and so the old concept of starting over you know like uh you know chris stapleton singing about in uh, in his song um, I, I like that that sentiment. It feels good to me to keep my attention on the fact that yeah, it is darkest before the dawn. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it's you know, it's not as dark as a lot of people think it's going to get from here. So, mm-hmm. what are we hoping for? What are we you know, what are we looking at? Do we see that light at the end of the tunnel of the starting over? And when do we start? How about right now? Yeah, you know, from that level of awareness. Yeah. Oh, we can't. We can't do that. We can't. That's not. No, now's not a good time. Let's. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's put it off. Yeah. But I do have to say that, like, even though I think one of the things about music that really kind of drew me in was even though, like, I spend a lot of time at jam nights. I've made a lot of buddies. I've met a lot of people with a podcast. I play in a handful of different scenes in the Iowa area. And one thing I've, I've thought to myself is even if I don't agree with somebody's political views or, or the way they carry themselves or the things they say on Facebook or social media, once the music's playing, all that's out the window. Uh, uh, we're all just human beings listening and playing music together and things like that. It reminds me of like a Bill Hicks uh, thing where he was just like, you, you watch the news and it's just like murder, death, famine, war, and you go outside and there's just crickets chirping and your neighbor's just like, hey, how's it going? You know, like, I feel like that's a good example yeah. of like what goes on in music. Because even if you do make a political stance with your music or you do try to like bring up concepts that people might not want to discuss, 
I don't feel like it's something that drives people away musically because it's just it's just music, you know. Especially when you're playing live, people are just like, "This guy's over here playing music at the bar. It's awesome. You should come down here," you know. And people aren't thinking like, oh, this guy's you know has this thought process on politics or whatever," you know. Like nobody ever thinks that, you know. They're right. always there just to enjoy the music, and I think it's this like almost like this weird cure all for all of that kind of stuff. It's where people just kind of they go in and they're there for one thing and it's not to argue about politics right, you know that's right. not it's not to argue about what i believe and what you believe and let's fight about it there's never any of that that's gone on at like a single show i've been to of the yeah. hundreds and hundreds of shows i've been to over the years so we find more common ground commonality what what we agree upon you know yeah principle based mm-hmm. you know and also i mean you know with an old friend of mine drilled this into my head years ago he's kind of a mentor he said do you ever notice you know, with new information, we make new decisions. Mm-hmm. And, you Which know, I can think of when I was dead wrong, mm-hmm. you know, and, and probably am now about some things. And I'll find out later that, you know, as long as my mind is open mm-hmm. to the truth, if that's my true pursuit, then I'm going to find it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to discover what that truth is. And, you know, um, it's, it's, it's an unfolding, but it, it doesn't happen if we're entrenched, if we're stuck in cognitive dissonance, if mm-hmm. we're you know, buying belief systems that are untrue and claiming them to be true. What are we doing? We're creating a false reality for ourselves, like living in fear. Mm-hmm. Show me where fear is. It doesn't exist. It's not really anything you can localize. It's, it's an illusion created right up here. Mm-hmm. And if people can understand that that can be manipulated, you know, that if you can be made to believe in that and then believe in you know, some other story that they attach to that, well, then you can be controlled. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I'm not interested in that reality at all. I have no interest in delving into that. But what I find over here on the other side of the fence of a pursuit of truth, freedom, love, um, understanding, compassion, mm-hmm. hey, tell me what you really think. I want to know. You know, that's a different place for me to come from. And I'll learn something new from that space. What am I going to learn being entrenched in all that other stuff. Yeah, I remember seeing something online, and it was like, if you're having a discussion with somebody and you disagree, ask what it would take to change their mind, and if they can't come up with something, then... Realize you're not going to... Yeah, yeah, you're not going to change their mind. Yeah, I, It's so weird you're talking about that concept, because like as a teenager, I was so headstrong. I was just like, everything I think is the right thing. Everything I think is is the way it should be. And this, and then you start to grow a little bit older, and you go through your 20s, and you, you make some mistakes in your life, and you realize like... Oh, I don't have it all figured out. And then, like exactly like you said, you start to have these conversations with people, and you start to change your mind about different things, and you live a little bit of life, and you go out and you experience other things that are outside of your little, you know, anthill that you're used to staying in, and it kind of changes the way you think about things. Um, and I, f- I feel like that's that's been a concept for you in your life, not just with like uh, politics and a belief system, but just with music. Like you said, you, you would go out there and play with people you had no idea who they were. They would be more talented than you. And it's just like, oh, I need to learn some of this stuff they're doing or, or try and find a way to keep up or, and match what they're doing, you know. And I feel like it helped out quite a bit because, I mean, you even played a show at the Junkyard in Barnum. You opened up for Jesse when Jesse played there. And then as the night kind of dwindled down, it was just kind of like a Jesse likes to like let the show sometimes just be like, who else plays guitar? Get up here and play with us or whatever. And I remember like watching you play some leads on on some stuff. And it was just you're just shredding on an electric guitar. And I'm like, I've only ever seen this guy play acoustic. You know, he's I know he's good at electric, but I didn't know he was that good. You know, and it's just like, I don't even want to get back up there now. You know, this uh, guy's so good. But no, man, I love your stuff. Uh, I've really enjoyed watching you play, especially with Jesse. You guys have a good chemistry together. I uh, appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, 
let's talk about this like new album. Are you going to end up just doing acoustic? Or are you going to throw your own leads on there? Are you going to bring yeah. in other people? Or? I'm going to do both. Um, I'll have some of my lead work in there, and then you know I want to have some slide guitar, some mandolin, oh, cool, cool, some, uh, some fiddle, fiddle, some yeah. of it, you know, um, strings. Actually, uh, one of the songs I wrote a while back called Rumi's Field. Um, he's got a poem. Rumi's this old poet from way back in the day. And uh, I was at a wedding, and somebody used a, a Rumi poem as uh, part of their vow, and I was just like, this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> he was quite a writer, inspired by love, and uh, he has one line in a poem that says, I'll meet you out in the field beyond right and wrong, and it just really struck me. He has like, mm-hmm. you know, a very heavenly space, a very you know, non-judgmental, loving, open space, and uh, so I wrote a song called Rumi's Field about that. And I was like, ah, it's not done. It's one of these songs. It's never done. It's never done. Yeah, yeah. And uh, oh, i got room for a lead, but it's too long now and all this different stuff. And, you know, and then, and then I come across this cellist and I'm like, it needs cello. Hey, do this. Dun, 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 yep. You know, and it's just these songs, you know, once they're done, they're done. But you also have to know when to put down the pen. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've actually had some conversations recently um, with some people about that. It's like it almost people are never happy with what they put out musically because you grow and progress. And a year later, you're like, I wish I would have done this differently on that. But also, like, you have to put that thing out there in order to grow and progress and turn around and have that retrospect to look at it Mm -hmm. and be like, I wish I would have done this differently. But now I can do it differently on a new song. That's right. On something new, you know. And that's the nature of the evolving artist, you know. They're going to have something new. Mm Mm-hmm. It's going to be, to you, better than anything you've ever made before. But somebody may still hold on to that last thing as the best thing they ever heard. You just mm-hmm. don't know how it's going to be received. Yeah. I mean, that's a life lesson. I mean, you have to live your life and make mistakes and learn from them in order to better yourself as a human being. Uh, in You know, when you look in the mirror in the morning, you know, it, it's that kind of a concept where, like, if you never take the chance, if you never actually try things, then you're going to get older and be like, I wish I would have act- at least done it, you know? Mm-hmm. Or, like, that's going to be the same concept where it's like, I wish I would have actually released these songs 10 years ago when I had originally written right. them. It's like, well, you know, you can crap in one hand wish in the other and see which fills up faster. That's saying of my father. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the truth, though. You know, you, you've got yeah. to actually at least put it out there. So I'm, I'm sure you're kind of like doing that where you've been writing this, these music, the songs since the late 90s up until today, you know, and I'm sure you've got a lot of songs that you'd like to at least get out there in some fashion on an album, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, is anything available online to listen to, like YouTube or, or, or yeah, Spotify um, and things like that? Uh, being uh, that, you know, I, I got around to my YouTube channel late. Um, I've got stuff all over the place, but um, at Michael Husky Music on Instagram, there's some stuff. Um, at Michael Husky Music on Facebook, there's some stuff. And then Michael Husky Music on um, uh, YouTube. And by the way, it's spelled differently than my uncle. He dropped the E for... Mm-hmm. The stage mm-hmm. easier to sign autographs, I guess. H U S K Y, like the dog. Mm-hmm. But mine is Michael M I C H A E L, last name H U S K E Y. Nice. And they even at bootleggers they write it the way Furlan did. I yep. don't change it. When somebody wants to turn me into Furlan, you know, yeah. throw throw his last name up there instead, I don't mind. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, there's there's stuff. On, there's a site. A friend of mine has uh, been working on this thing for decades. And he's co-written a song with me called um, uh, My Little Sister Saw Elvis. Yeah, I love that song. Riding in a UFO. I love this song. And that's that was a long time coming. That song started out over some whiskey uh, 20-something, 30 years. It was 30-something years ago. And didn't get completed until probably 10 or 12 years ago. 
um, when he came up with the final cement uh, line, um, he's the whole the, the the song itself is is it was written during a time when the National Enquirer and all these rags were you know reporting all these sightings of Elvis and two-headed alien babies and all this kind of yeah. fantastical <laughs> stuff and so we wanted to turn that into a funny song and my sister loved Elvis so it was my little sister saw Elvis riding in a UFO and then you know where she spotted him in a pickup truck and yeah. you know and later at the end at the Cadillac and he ain't coming back that whole thing but in the middle I was like it's not done there's something missing and it was the central message that emo and you can check out his work and some of mine and other really good artists from back in the day, too, on emosonic.com, E-M-O-S-O-N-I-C.com. And uh, I've got a bunch of rough cuts and uh, foundation tracks on there under under my MP3s. Um, but uh, he came up with it, and, and we still have a difference on what he came up with because I, I think I either heard it differently or maybe I changed it over time because I've played it so many times. But he goes, uh, you know, it's my little sister saw Elvis riding in a UFO. And then there's a slow kind of a uh, break here where we slow it down and, and it's almost talk singing. And, 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 and the line goes something like, um, he said life ain't worth living unless you hold each day like a candle in the darkest wind. Or no, like a candle in the darkest night on the, on the coldest day. And it's like, wow, you're really protecting that light. You know, mm -hmm. that's the sentiment of the line. Now, he sings it differently than I do. And when we get together, we have to uh, agree on how we're going to sing yeah. it. <laughs> but, um, but that was the sentiment. And I took away from, you know, that uh, to mean the song was finally finished. You mm -hmm. know, and you know when that happens. Um, but, yeah, there's going to be a bunch of old, old stuff, um, some new stuff, a um, couple cover tunes like Wings of a Dove from Uncle Ferlin, and then a song I wrote for my grandmother. Um, she was reading a letter to me from my uh, biological father, who I only had limited contact with in my life. He was kind of a hippie renegade guy who's talk about stories. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could go on on about him. But um, anyway, she was she had me read a letter that he had written to her before he passed away when he was out and. Europe or Jamaica or something and um, uh, it was basically he was saying you know isn't doing battle with evil out in the world working for God isn't that good good enough you know because she always wanted him to you know be like a normal guy who had a job and came home from work and you know the, the 2.2 kids and all that sort of stuff and that wasn't his life by any stretch so he's asking her for acceptance and isn't what I'm doing good enough and so the song turned into, as she's handing me the, the letter, she's also handing me his old worn-out Bible, which he obviously had used a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the song's called Daddy's Worn-Out Bible, and mm -hmm. it's about that. And I think it's like, when I'm getting feedback from others uh, on that uh, song, is that we can all relate to it because wouldn't we love it if our parents, you know, really did fully embrace and accept you know, what we came here to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, parents have certain ideas and ideals they want you to live up to. Um, some of them are fantastic, of course, but um, but we all have our own path. Mm -hmm. And uh, can you accept this about me? And so that, that song will be on there. Um, you know, the first song I ever wrote, Suddenly, will be on there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I really want to put that Starting Over song on there, too. So I'll probably have, you know, two or three cover tunes and then the rest will be originals. Oh, man. Speaking of cover tunes. Yeah. Hope, 
<laughs> Hopefully the algorithms don't pick this up and flag it on YouTube. <laughs> Somebody's cruising by with a boombox. We box. had to mute your conversation. <laughs> well, man, I, uh, I I wish I didn't have to wind this down, but unfortunately I do because we're getting close to a time. Like, I've got a show this afternoon. You've got a show tonight. Do you have shows next weekend, you say? Yeah. Um, let's see. Tonight I'm in uh, Clarion at Timbuk Brew starting at 7, going till 10, and then... Uh, Next week, let's see. It's um, this is coming out on Thursday, so next Thursday. week will be next week will be pretty much exactly like two days from now. Um, so yeah, this is coming out Thursday. We're pre-recording. I don't know. Everybody knows we pre-record here, but um, yeah. So Thursday, the twenty-third of September, I'm at the five hundred three in Iowa Falls. Oh, sweet. Seven to ten, it looks like. Oh no, it's eight to eleven. I'm setting up. So if you're listening to this seven. the day it came out, go to Iowa Falls. Check out Michael Husky. He'll yeah, be there. Yeah, the 503. Nice, nice, nice little uh, bar up there. And then the 24th, I'll be at the Shiny Top. Uh, oh, no way. Yeah, that's that's Friday the 24th from 7 to 10. That's cool. I remember the, the first time I played at Shiny Top, I was like, this is sweet. I'm at Shiny Top, everybody. You know, like it, yeah. it just felt pretty neat for me. I'm looking forward to that. It's a good it's place. A little stage, too, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. And then uh, bootleggers again back on uh, Saturday the 25th from seven to ten. Sweet. So if you're if you're in the Northern Iowa area where I you know hang my hat, definitely swing out to one of those shows. I highly recommend it. You'll enjoy yourself. Uh, Michael's a great guy, great musician, breath of fresh air. Um, if you're looking for any of those links, they will be in the description section. You'll have to send me the one that your the website your buddy had okay. made. Uh, that way I can make sure I tag that in the description section. Um, so if you're looking for the links, social media, things like that, they'll be down below. I'll have your Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube page and that other link that also has some of your music on it. Um, is there anything that we didn't talk about on this episode that you think should be pertinently talked about uh, that we didn't include? Do what you love and love what you do. Keep right. doing it. Oh, man. that's Honestly, that's... That is some of the best advice ever. I wish I would have tried that at a younger age. Because like I said, my 20s were pretty much just uh, me being unsure of myself and partying and using it as an excuse, unfortunately. So I wish I really would have stuck with what I loved and what I really wanted to do. Because I was kind of just trying to people please, you know, when I was younger, unfortunately. So uh, I'm glad you're out there doing it. Uh, I'm sad to know that you're you're moving away when we just like kind of started out this budding friendship, you know, in the last year. But I also know that this probably won't be the last time I see you. So. Definitely not. So, uh, Michael, it's it's it was great to get to know you in Iowa City. It's been great to get to know you over the course of the last year plus. And uh, um, I mean, it hasn't even really been a year because I've just been playing with Jesse this year. So. You know, honestly, this has only been a handful of months. And it's kind of crazy to know that I, you know, met somebody through playing music and and become uh, as good of friends with them as I have. And it's just, it was all based on a random chance meeting, you know. And so uh, I'm, I'm really glad to call you a friend. And I'm really glad to that you sat down and, and talked on the podcast with me because you were somebody as, as soon as I met you, I was like, this guy's got to get on the podcast. <laughs> this guy's got to get on the podcast. I'm glad we did it. Yeah, yeah, we finally made it happen. So, well, thank you. Even man. though you, even though you're moving away, I feel like a remote podcast is somewhere in the future. If if you know uh, that's something that's in the cards. So, uh, I wish you all the best of luck. And like I said, if you're looking to see him live, some of your last chances to see him live in the near future will be this upcoming weekend. So check those shows out. Um, he'll be all across Northern Iowa. So. Uh, thank you, Michael. Really appreciate you taking time out of your day to sit and talk with me, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. Absolutely. And it's uh, a long time coming. We've been wanting to do this for a while, so yeah. glad we finally did it. Yeah, absolutely. 
Oh, yeah. That's another good one. Uh, like I said, it, you, you know, he kind of be, just became a friend of mine. Uh, talked to him online, talked to him here and there, shot him some messages, uh, spun some ideas off of him uh, backwards and forwards. You know, he's, he's a, a great guy, and uh, I'm, I wish him all the luck, you know, moving. So uh, it's kind of sad to see him go, but it'll, you know, it'll probably be for the better for him. He's, he's kind of one of those people that goes all around the place. If you couldn't tell by the episode, I mean guy's been everywhere he's done a lot of different stuff and like i like i said in the intro we didn't even really scratch the surface here so check his stuff out online i'm sure you'll enjoy it if you're in the area go watch him live uh this weekend is the last weekend he will be around so hit him up somewhere uh he's got a handful of shows coming up we discussed that in the episode uh find him on facebook find him uh at all the links down below and uh give him a follow and check out some of his material if you can so uh check that stuff out it's it's i'm glad we got to sit down and do this we've been trying for a while to get this done and we finally did so uh hats off to him for um you know just being in the area and having the time to do it i mean we we had scheduled a handful of different times out and then ended up rescheduling and rescheduling again and um then i took a booking with with somebody to play music and it was it was just this whole thing, to, it was just crazy. We finally got it taken care of, though, and I'm really glad we did. So uh, thanks, Michael, for sitting down with me. And uh, like I said, go check out all those links down below. Uh, if you're into checking out links, check out the other links down below. There's links for the Audible Farm website. You can find all the Audible Farm goodness there. Uh, give us a subscribe, maybe a like or a follow, something along those lines, if, if you're inclined to do something like that. Uh, I mean, the podcast is going to be free regardless if you're just listening to it. Maybe this is the first episode you listen to, but there are full video versions available on our Patreon page. It costs $1 a month. That's it. Um, you know, it's really cheap. Uh, the cost of one year of Audible Farms Patreon is less than one Netflix subscription, uh, according to my calculations. So check that out if you guys are into watching video versions of podcasts. The crazy part about this podcast is some of them take place in like my mini studios. Some of them have taken place in other people's studios. I've recorded episodes at parks. Uh, before I did the video versions, I, I mean, it, it was nuts. I was doing episodes in like coffee shops and in people's cars and parking lots. And, and yeah, I mean, it was pretty wild. So uh, check out the video versions. You never know who's going to be on the episodes. You never know where we're going to be. So check those out. It's tons of fun stuff to, to see what's going on and kind of see us talking and uh, if that's something that's interests you otherwise if you guys are looking for more physical media or uh, physical merch i guess i should say you can go to the audible farm uh online shop go shop.audiblefarm.com and there is all sorts of goodies there as well uh t-shirts i got the new designs of t-shirts they're starting to run out i've sold out of a handful of the sizes so Hopefully, if you want one of those shirts, we got the size you want. If not, uh, I apologize. Maybe we'll get some, some new shirts in. I've been thinking about a different design, so maybe I'll go with a different design for the next shirt. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I always have the classic one, the classic shirts. I've got those. I now have two colors. Uh, I've got a gray and a darker gray, so it's up to you whether or not you like darker gray or lighter gray uh, for the Audible Farm Originals shirts and those are also have larger sizes if you're uh, somebody that is in need of larger sizes i have a lot of people say you don't have the big sizes but i do i do have some big sizes uh, they're available on the audible farm online website or find me at a show uh, i've been kind of teasing it around and i'll say it if you find if you see me at a show i might give you a discount on shirts i've been doing that pretty much the last year anyways so come out to a show say hi to me uh, i had an intermission or something i usually have the shirts with me and i will hook you up with a shirt 
Uh, so, yeah, if you guys are looking for shirts, that's there. Otherwise, uh, I probably should get hoodies in again. I've been debating doing a different design on the hoodies. Otherwise, uh, I'll probably get another small order of hoodies in if I, uh, if I get around to it. Hopefully, I will. So, check the shop. There will be lots of stuff there. Of course, there's stickers and there's keychains and all sorts of other goodies there. So, check out the uh, shop online. And don't forget to check out Michael Husky's links down below. So, this next weekend is uh, this upcoming weekend, like tomorrow, as of the release of this episode. Uh, he's around, so, so hit him up, uh, check him out. I'm going to try to make it out to one of his shows if I can. I have some bookings this weekend as well, so come out and find me. Uh, I'll be playing uh, round. I'll be playing with Jesse Wilson uh, this weekend, so check it out. Uh, AudibleFarm.com for everything else. And thank you guys for listening. We'll check you next week. Peace.